Welcome to The Baton, a John Williams musical journey. Join host Jeff Cummings as he takes you through the career of the illustrious film composer John Williams, starting with his debut in 1959 through more than 100 films in 60 years. This episode features the music from a 1990 comedy classic, Home Alone. Now here's your host, Jeff Cummings. Just about every John Williams fan knows the score to Home Alone fairly well. It's one of the most loved scores by the maestro from the 1990s. But if you look at the timing of this project in the chronology of John Williams' career, it really does seem like a strange film for him to agree to write a score. With the exception of the Steven Spielberg films and maybe even The Witches of Eastwick, the projects that Williams has taken on since the mid-1980s have been mostly quiet dramas requiring quieter scores than the ones that made him famous in the late 1970s and early 1980s. But then came Home Alone, and it offered him the chance to write a big comedy score that showcases his talents for melody, orchestration, and technique. In essence, this score gives Williams the opportunity to write in just about every musical genre in just one film. And he does them all so well, and it's why it's my fifth favorite John Williams score. There is no one on this earth who can argue that Williams' score isn't one of the main reasons why Home Alone reigned as the most popular comedy worldwide for more than a decade. And what is even more amazing is that Williams was not the first choice as composer. And we have to be thankful he accepted the job as it put Williams on a path to be a part of this Home Alone franchise and another major movie saga that was pretty much unable to exist without his music. Chris Columbus started his Hollywood career as a writer, pinning the screenplays to Gremlins, The Goonies, and Young Sherlock Holmes before taking his first directing job on Adventures in Babysitting. It was clear that his success came in working on movies aimed at teenagers and young children, so when John Hughes was looking for a director for his Home Alone screenplay, he offered it to Columbus. The plot is rather simple, and it's weird that no one had thought of it before as a movie. An eight-year-old boy is left home accidentally when his family rushes off for a trip to Paris. While he waits for his family to return, he must try to protect the house from two burglars and an old man who may or may not be a murderer. There's no way you can imagine anyone other than Macaulay Culkin as Kevin McAllister. It's the perfect actor playing the role that, for better or worse, defined Culkin's life and still does to this day. Culkin got the role because he was just so darn cute and precocious in another Hughes film, Uncle Buck. Various reports say Columbus met with close to 200 actors to find the right Kevin, but he finally relented and agreed with Hughes' recommendation to hire Culkin. Looking back, it is still a bit weird to see Joe Pesci in this movie as one of the two burglars. Just two months before Home Alone was released, Pesci was freaking out moviegoers in Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. Anyone who saw Pesci in his Oscar-winning role in Goodfellas that then took their kids to see Home Alone were probably a bit confused. But I really enjoy seeing Pesci show off his comedy skills here, and he plays off nicely with his companion, Daniel Stern. After filming, Columbus automatically knew he wanted to hire Bruce Broughton to write the score to Home Alone. Columbus liked Broughton's score to young Sherlock Holmes, and thought Broughton could bring a nice sensibility to the film with his music. 
Browden started writing music and, based on a couple of online sources, was already scheduling time with an orchestra for recording the score. But because filming had gone a little bit behind schedule and post-production was delayed a bit, it meant Browden had to stop what he was doing and bow out of the project to work on the Disney animated film The Rescuers Down Under, which he had already contracted to do before accepting the job on Home Alone. With Browden's departure, did Columbus consider hiring Michael Kamen, who wrote the score to Adventures in Babysitting? I doubt he thought about Jerry Goldsmith, who wrote the score for Gremlins, but had almost zero comedy scores on his resume. This was late summer 1990, and with Home Alone's release date set in concrete for Thanksgiving, Columbus had to work fast to find his replacement composer. And for the second time, it was John Williams who stepped in when Bruce Browden stepped out, just two years after doing so for The Accidental Tourist. According to Columbus on the DVD feature on the making of Home Alone, he never thought Williams would say yes to working on the film. And Williams himself said in a newspaper interview that he was considering taking a break from film scores for the rest of the year to work on a concerto. Because Williams watched a rough cut of Home Alone at the Amblin Entertainment Production Offices, I have to wonder if Spielberg had a hand in getting Williams to see the film. Turns out Williams loved the film, which had to be tough to love without musical accompaniment. When you watch, for example, the final raid on the house, it's funnier when the music plays on each pratfall. But Williams saw the potential and knew it was going to be a hit. He couldn't resist saying yes. Sometimes people make associations with composers, for example, in my case, and the budgets of film. They may not ask me to do a film if the budget isn't big or they or may want someone else to do it because it is small. Actually, from my point of view, I've never really cared about that. It's, all, it, it's, it's more uh, a visceral thing, the kind of reaction that one has to the material that, that is irrelevant to the cost of it, really, and the size of it and the scale of the production. So I was delighted to be asked to, to do the film. Home Alone score presented lots of challenges for Williams. As I said, he had to write music in lots of different styles. Naturally, he had to write a lot of musical sync points in the film. But I think the biggest task was balancing between hardcore comedy and heartfelt drama. If any composer could do it, John Williams was up to the task. The holiday atmosphere, from an orchestral point of view, is always fun to, to paint. And the other aspect was the comedic aspect of it. And a, a lot of those comedic sequences that are scored, if the music is, is a, little, a few frames off one way or another, it, it won't do. It needs to be really sewn to the action in the way that you would with a, a, an animated cartoon almost. The Christmas time setting gave Williams plenty of inspiration for his music. A lot of critics of the score have complained that it sounds a lot like a blatant riff-off of Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, and they're not completely wrong. But there is some admiration to be given to Williams for using the Nutcracker as his jumping-off point. Tchaikovsky's music is so inherently tied to a Christmas mood that if Williams wanted to use the same instrumentation, there's no way he can write music that doesn't remind one of the famous ballet. Tchaikovsky's Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy and the Russian Dance are two of the pieces that get the Williams treatment in Home Alone, and we'll talk about those in a minute. I want to discuss Kevin's theme first. Williams keeps it in the woodwinds and the celeste for most of the score, though there are a couple of statements in the brass and French horn, especially in that big finale. Here's a bit of Kevin's theme, played in a scene when he is hiding under the bed after the burglar's first attempt to break in. 
Kevin's theme is the first piece of music heard in the film, played at the start of the opening credits. After the opening statement, the score takes us into Tchaikovsky territory with a playful and jaunty melody that definitely lets us know we're about to watch a comedy, and it is inspired by the dance of the sugar plum fairy from the Nutcracker. It's used later for scenes involving the house. The second melody is not a leitmotif like the main melody is. It isn't used for any particular character, but plays a few times in the first half of the film. You'll know it as the melody for the song Star of Bethlehem, but before it became a religious-themed Christmas song, it started as a soft melody that, ironically, was used mostly for action or suspense scenes. The first time we hear it is in our introduction to the neighbor Marley, the old man who kids believe killed his family and chopped them up into pieces. Those big four notes at the end played on low chimes would become a theme for Old Man Marley when he appears a couple more times in the film. Let's hear those notes again. 
Just listening to it now, Marley's theme has the same construct as the first four notes of Kevin's theme, just in a different note scale. I didn't pick up on that until now, and I think it's a genius composition. As we find out later, Marley is also wishing to be reunited with his family, so he and Kevin are both connected in that way. It's not a surprise then that the two get a musical connection, though Williams makes Marley's music a bit sinister by playing it on those ominous chimes. If you read the liner notes from the 25th anniversary edition of the Home Alone soundtrack, Mike Mattesino seems to believe that the first four notes of Carol of the Bells is also Marley's theme, and he says that when they play Carol of the Bells in the movie, that's making Marley's theme in a more happier fashion. But I tend to like my theory a little more, but again, it's all up for interpretation. You pick what you like the best. Okay, so going back to the Star of Bethlehem melody. Two of my favorite musical moments in the film are built on this melody. And the first one happens when Kevin comes face to face with Marley for the first time. The melody plays out on woodwinds with a bit of mystery. Then makes a 180 degree turn after we hear Marley's theme and Kevin runs back into the house. I love the moment when Kevin screams and runs back into the house. The comedy element of the music is spot on. As for the second great scene with this melody, it comes after Kevin runs out of the drugstore with the stolen toothbrush. This puts the Star of Bethlehem melody, which I will remind you again, turns into a religious theme song later in the film, into full action mode. And this is where John Williams puts in some great musical sync points. I think about four or five in this chase scene alone.
And of course, it ends with Kevin's theme, turning from fast-paced as he continues to run to sorrowful as he realizes his criminal activity. I recently attended a screening of Home Alone with a live orchestra playing, and this scene really stands out in my memory because the orchestra had a hard time with the musical sync points. Particularly what I remember is the part where the policeman falls on the ice and there is a hit on the tuba and the timpani, I believe, and they didn't hit it right, and it just really stands out when those musical sync points don't match up. Of course, I think it's really the fault of the conductor for not keeping the pace, but it just really shows how hard it is for orchestras to really get these right. And I imagine there are a lot of takes to get this right with John Williams when he was recording this score. Another instance of Star Bethlehem being contorted into action music comes as Kevin is setting up the house in anticipation of the burglar's attack. In addition to that prominent drum kit, which provides a lot of momentum, the orchestra plays the Star Bethlehem theme as we see Kevin placing various traps around the house. I didn't forget about the other major theme written for the film, and it's the one for the burglars. Yes, it feels a little bit like a ripoff of the villain's theme from Superman, but that one was written in a march style. This is not. It's almost always played on bassoon, which can be used for optimal comedic effect.
Once Williams was done writing the score, he noticed that the two main themes he wrote were screaming to be made into songs. That's a little weird to me because Williams had always thumbed his nose at writing songs. He hadn't done one in eight years for the awful Pavarotti film Yes, Giorgio. But he was curious to see how it would turn out. And it would give him a chance to write a couple of Christmas songs that I'm sure he hoped would turn out as well as Irving Berlin's White Christmas, which coincidentally was prominently featured in Home Alone. Just one week before starting to record the score, Williams reached out to Leslie Brickus, who wrote Can You Read My Mind for Superman, and had Williams work on adapting his songs for Goodbye Mr. Chips in 1968. In less than a week, Brickus supplied the final lyrics for two songs that would play in the film. For Kevin's theme, Brickus wrote lyrics that highlighted Kevin's longing for his family. The song is called Somewhere in My Memory, and we first hear it as Kevin is walking home after his visit to Santa Claus and he sees a family celebrating Christmas inside. The second song is played in the film, but you have to pay attention or you might miss it. It comes during the scene in the church when Kevin and Marley are talking about their respective families. It's the second song played in the scene after Oh Holy Night. The song is Star of Bethlehem, and it is quite beautiful.
It's a shame Star of Bethlehem didn't get a better spot in the film. But Somewhere in My Memory became the signature song for the film, and it closed out the film during the end credits with a longer version. I mentioned earlier that Williams leans on two musical pieces from the Nutcracker in his score. We heard the variation on the dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy in the opening credits, and he takes the Russian dance for a spin when the family wakes up late and hurries to make their plane to Paris. Here's a bit of the Russian dance. And here's how Williams fashioned it into a fun little piece. Yeah, they sound very similar, and again, I think that might have been the point. I don't know if Williams was making that suggestion or if Chris Columbus said, hey, if we're already doing Tchaikovsky music, why not do the Russian dance as well for a scene? Either way, I love it. It's brilliant. It's a lot of fun. So let's go ahead to the third act of the film, which is a masterclass in sync point musical composition. Williams seems to have so much fun with this, and you could hear it in every note. Most of the time, he stops the music just as one of the burglars falls or gets his feet splintered with broken Christmas ornaments. But he keeps the music playing as Kevin throws paint cans all the way to the moment when Kevin puts a tarantula on Daniel Stern's face 
and that's a little bit more than a minute and a half of music. Lots of musical sync points here, from the flute swirls as the paint cans fly, the burglars fall on top of each other, and Kevin plucks his tripwire. And after Kevin cuts the rope leading to the treehouse, causing the burglars to crash into the house, Kevin runs across the street where he is hoping to trap the burglars for the police. Here's the only moment when Kevin's theme and the burglar's theme intersect in this score. I love the brass statement at the end there. We think Kevin is going to win, but nope. The burglars outsmarted him, at least for a moment. Thanks to Marley, the burglars are arrested, and Kevin is safe at home. Now, I read in a couple of reviews of this score that they really did not like the repeated use of Kevin's theme in the final five minutes of the film. I think it works well because it's stated across different parts of the orchestra and never feels repetitive.
So Kevin's mom has returned. And then later, the rest of Kevin's family comes home with the sleigh bell signaling that it is officially Christmas. And here's the part of the film that makes me very emotional. I won't go into the details why here, but seeing Marley reunite with his son and getting to hug his granddaughter is a wonderful moment. And Williams brings in the entire orchestra to ramp up the intensity, and I think he even brings in a couple of other orchestras to really intensify this moment and get the tears that are forming in my eyes to roll down my cheek. This further supports my theory that Marley's theme was connected to Kevin's theme, and they're now merged. Now, as the lyric goes, all the family is home here with me. It's a great conclusion to the film. Home Alone is such a great score. There's not a false moment in it. Williams does just what he needed to do to make the music set the right tone for each scene. He's not doing any quote-unquote mickey-mousing and really amping up the score to cartoonish effect. Thank God Bruce Browden couldn't complete the project. But I'm sure Browden really wished he had made the time to complete the Home Alone score. The movie earned almost half a billion dollars worldwide, which was massive for 1990, and went on to become the highest-grossing comedy in history, a record it held for 21 years until the sequel to The Hangover took the mantle. Critics hated the film, though, calling Kevin's booby-trapped home far-fetched and silly. But that seemed to be what people wanted to see, and they got a little bit of Christmas-time family love to go with it. Williams' score got an Oscar nomination alongside four other great scores for 1990. I find John Barry's work on Dances with Wolves magnificent and one of the top aspects of the very long film, so I'm okay with it winning the original score Oscar that year. Williams and Brickus found themselves nominated in the original song category for Somewhere in My Memory, 
though Stephen Sondheim's jazzy song Sooner or Later was the winner that year. And even though he lost twice that year, Williams made some history with those nominations. They were his 27th and 28th nominations, which made him the most nominated living person. Sammy Kahn, who was alive in 1991 when John Williams received these nominations, but would die two years later, had owned that distinction for quite some time with his 26 Oscar nominations, all in the original song category. This is a record that Williams would continue to grow with each successive nomination. He would still have a long way to go to catch Walt Disney's all-time record of 59 nominations. At the top of this episode, I mentioned that Williams had thought about taking the second half of 1990 off from film scores to concentrate on a concerto that he wanted to write. He had put that off for work on Home Alone, but when 1991 started, his clarinet concerto made its debut with the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Playing the clarinet was Michelle Zukowski, who was the principal clarinet player for the Los Angeles Philharmonic. It was Williams' first concerto since writing one for the tuba in 1985. So that was just a small part of what Williams worked on in 1991. It was going to be a busy year for him, as he had two films on his plate that were going to be released around the same time. And I hope you will join me to talk about JFK and Hook later on the baton. So thanks everyone for joining me today. I had a lot of fun with this episode, and I hope you did as well. Let me know what you think of the podcast by sending me an email to jeffswim at aol.com. I also urge you to post a review on Apple Podcasts to help others know more about the show. I look forward to the next episode, and until then, the baton is down. Mm -hmm.